0: Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook. Both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message.
1: Hey guys, we're starting a brand new series titled I Promise. Would you say that with me? Say I Promise. Oh, that was weak. You can do better than that. Say, I promise. I promise. And one more time, I promise. I promise. Do you know that uh, Bible.com says that there are over seven thousand scriptures of promises that God has made to us in His Holy Word? So, seven thousand—excuse me—promises in the Holy Scriptures that God has made to His people. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to extract a couple of them and, and kind of look at them. But I want you to turn with me quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. This is kind of the theme or the concept by which we are going to kind of present these promises. Because I want you to know exactly what he thinks about when he thinks about you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All of his promises are yes and amen. In other words, God looks at you and me, and he doesn't go, well, maybe, maybe not. No, they are yes and amen. The things that he promised. That's why I had him sing that song again from Maverick City, a a man of his word. He's a man of his word. If he said it, he will do it. Because our God keeps his promises. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. He keeps his promises. How many of you guys have ever made a promise to somebody? Lift a hand. How many of you guys uh, have ever failed to keep that promise? Don't go ahead, put your hand on. Don't worry about it. Uh, Jamie and I, 27 years ago, we stood at the altar and Jamie made promises to me. She promised to be a loving and faithful wife, to submit to me and obey anything and every command I could ever give, to do everything I wanted. And to hang on my every word as well as call me the great one every morning when I wake up. I'm just kidding. I never <laughs> You're like, what? I was waiting for things to start being thrown at me, all right? No, but we did. On that day, we made promises to one another. And in 27 years, we've done our best to keep those promises. In our humanity, I'm sure we have failed at those promises at times. But I want you to know your God will never fail at his promises If he said it, he will do it. And his word to you is always concerning his promises. Yes and amen. So with that being said, we're just going to do a few of the core promises out of the 7,000 promises that we have towards us. And today, I want to jump in. So this is kind of part one of this series, I promise. And today, we're going to jump in to the promise, number one, that I'm picking out. And that is, he promises to forgive and cleanse us. Somebody ought to get excited right there. Come on, thank you Jesus that you promised to forgive us and to cleanse us. Our key verse for this is found in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Turn there quickly with me. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And he says it like this, the book of John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The letter here that John writes to the believers of his time. He starts in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. He starts into it like this. He says, hey, listen, guys, we were with him. Scores of years ago, we walked with Jesus. We talked with Jesus. We saw his beauty. We saw his power. We experienced his righteousness. And then he goes on, he drops from there, and he says, and I will tell you this, that in God there is no darkness. Because our God is a God of light. And he again continues on to say, and so if you claim to be in the light, but yet you continue in darkness, you continue in your wickedness and continue in sin, then you're a liar. You're not really in the light. What John is doing is, and and, and most scholars believe he is frustrated because we're somewhere 30, 40 years into Christianity. And so everybody got excited. Oh, this new way, the Messiah has come. Yes, grace and mercy, and he forgives us. And what had happened over the 30 years, 40 years or so, false teaching had gotten in. Oh, just live like that. It doesn't matter. He forgives. He forgives. And so John is pointing out, hold on just a second. Do not call yourself a Christian if you're going to live in sin and live in sin. Because in our God, we were with him. There was no compromise. There was no wickedness in him. In him is light. And he is the light to all men. And there is no darkness in him. And so, yes, you and I sin. And he continues on and says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then when we drop in verse 9, this is what he says. Oh, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Somebody ought to give a hand to the G. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus. He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. From all in righteousness as you study the promises of God over the next couple weeks and even in, in your own time of reading the Bible you'll find that in any promise in any relationship there is a validation of that promise there's a validation of that relationship. And so you might would call it a qualification, but really it's a validation. For example, when Jamie and I stood at that altar and we said, till death do us part, she made promises to me. Or those promises can only be kept if I stay in the relationship. In other words, how can she be faithful, loving, supportive, submissive, whatever you want to call it, wife, the promises that she made if I run off with another woman? She can't be faithful to her promise. That promise then struggles to be validated and completed because of my unfaithfulness to the relationship. And so just in almost all of the promises that we find in Scripture, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they put a validation in. And with this one, that he will always forgive us, that he will always cleanse us, he puts a validation, and that is if we confess. If we confess. What does that word confess mean? It has a broad range of understanding. It's not just to speak the words out. It's to repent. In fact, I don't know about you, but when someone has done me dirty, it goes a long way if, first and foremost, they will just admit it and acknowledge it. Are you with me? Say yes. Like, just just own it, bro. I mean, when someone comes to me and says, you know what? I did you wrong. I blew it. You know, you know how that activates forgiveness in my heart? It's, like, it's so easy, right? But it's that person who refuses to acknowledge, to recognize that they've hurt me or they've done something dirty against me or my family, something like that. And so really what Jesus is saying or qualifying, uh, John is saying in this passage about the nature of God is that we should confess, we should admit it, own it, apologize for it. That's what that confession looks like. That's the fullness of what's being expressed here. If you will just own it. How many Christians won't own the fact that we're sinning against God? Just own it. You're an idiot. He knows you're an idiot. He knows I'm an idiot. And it goes a long way to just say, Father, I've sinned against you. Jesus, I'm so stupid. He goes, I know, but come here. Come here. Come here. I promise to forgive and to cleanse. Isn't that a wonderful promise to hold on to? To know that he will not throw me out Just because I'm not perfect. Somebody ought to shout amen right there. Because what dead religion tells you is that you have to perform, 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 perform. What happens when you don't perform good enough? What happens when you're not the good guy that you've been trying to be? Because, see, forgiveness is not based on merit. It's based on his kindness that has been bestowed upon us. All I have to do is surrender myself to him. And I confess my sins, and he is faithful and just. He will forgive them and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then he moves into this next word. If you confess, he will forgive. I want you to understand something about forgiveness and about sin. This is where a lot of people get confused, depending on whether you came out of Catholicism, whether you came out of, you know, you've just been a heathen your whole life, whatever type of philosophy you study, you may have a skewed view of what sin is. See, most people think sin is to go against a set of rules and regulations. There's some truth to that because in the Old Testament, God lays out what righteousness looks like because the people had become so unrighteous that they didn't even know what sin was. But at the end of the day, what sin really is, is when you and I go against his nature. Let me explain. In God, there is no hatred. God has no perversion inside of himself. God is not a liar or a manipulator. God does, God does not want to kill the person who hurt the other person. There's none of that in him. When God created humanity, he created us in his... Three of you got it. Let's try it again. When God created us, he created us in his like him, not just physically, not just the the, the mark out of arms and toes and feet. No, no. In his image, that scripture is teaching us that the fullness of who he was. Adam and Eve had no hatred in them. Adam and Eve had no racism in them. Adam and Eve had no perversion in them. Adam and Eve did not know what it was like to be insecure. They had none of that in them until they ate of the fruit in rebellion and sin entered into them and began to mark them. And then every child that was born thereafter had that sin nature. It was a deformation. It was a perversion of the original design. What the original design looked like. And here we are thousands of years later. So you think what you think is right isn't even right simply because you don't have his nature all the time. You have your nature and the sinfulness of the fallen world nature inside of us. And so when you and I look at that, ooh, that's good. And God's saying that's not good. And now there's this conflict between what is right and what is wrong. So what sin is, is to go against his nature. Therefore, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have a deformation, if you will, from the original design. And if you've ever made something and you had this vision in mind and then come back and watch the reproductions year after year, you'll find that they have to go back because they say, what has been reproduced over and over again no longer looks like the original desire, the desire effect. It has changed and morphed. And so what Jesus promises to do is to forgive us if we will simply ask, if we will repent. Are you with me today? Say yes. But here's the problem. And some of you still have this. You still see sin as having levels. This is a low-level sin. This is a high-level sin. Oh, I would never do that. But it's okay to do this. But you got to understand, this, 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 this. It's all against his nature. Therefore, it's all sin against God. Now, when it comes to our relationships with each other and the effects of sin on our life, obviously, sin can have a greater effect. Depending if you if you uh, you know if you're looking at porn and the effect on you, your mind. Whereas if you molest a child, now you have not only sinned against yourself against God, but also against this child, this family, and all these other things are happening, right? So when it comes to that, you could say, well, there's not leveling of greater sin or worse sin, but there is an outcome many times that is more destructive on you and on others based on your actions and and your sinfulness. But when it comes to God, he doesn't go, okay, gay sexual attraction is so much worse than your manipulation and lying. It's all against his nature. Thereby, it's all sin. So when Jesus died and his blood was spilt and we repent of our sin it covers every sin not just well you got to do 10 more repentances to cover that sin because that sin is much higher and some of you have had that bad thinking because it's bad theology that someone gave you when Jesus forgives us he forgives us completely he washes us clean completely are you with me today say yes that's what forgiveness looks like and then he moves on and he says I will not just forgive you, but I will cleanse you. Cleanse you. What is he doing? He wants to take our garments with all of the hatred that's still in us as believers and the perversion and the lying. And then even those things that are in our blind spots that we don't even know are still there. Those things that we can't see and we don't understand why people are saying things like that about us because they can't really see it. He wants to not only, he not only wants to help cleanse what we do know about but he also wants to cleanse what we don't recognize about our own life But the problem is most of us don't get why he wants to cleanse us in fact most of us because we have pride and arrogance in our life the fact that we might have a weakness the fact that we might not be perfect in an area the fact that we might sin in an area causes us shame i'm shamed by that i don't think you really grasp the love that god has for you And his desire to cleanse you so that you will not have eternal shame. So that you won't have shame on that day. So I don't know about you, but I'm like, Jesus, clean me now. In fact, he discusses this, the the apostle Paul does. He throws it into this teaching that he's doing in the book of Ephesians. When he's talking about relationships between husbands and wives and and children and and, and dads and moms. And He's in this whole dialogue in Ephesians chapter 5. And he's talking about uh, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands. Love your wife just as Christ loves the church. Children, submit honor. Obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. He's doing this whole teaching. In the middle of it, he does this little side discourse of kind of a doctrinal concept. And I want you to grab it with me real quick in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. So look what he's doing. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So he moves it from husbands. I want to illustrate to you how you should be loving your wives just like Christ loves the church. And then he goes off on this side teaching about how Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. The church is you and me. Jesus loves you and me, not just corporately, but individually, and gave himself up for her to do what? Look at verse 26. He did all that to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So he's done all of this so that we will become his bride, so that we will become his church, we'll become his people. And then he's doing all that so that he can cleanse us and make us holy. Look in verse 27. Because at the end of it all, he has to present her, me and you, Christians, believers, to himself as a radiant church Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I want you to get this middle picture. So, Jesus wants to cleanse you because there is a banquet coming, a wedding banquet that he has to present you to the Father in front of the Father to himself. He's the groom. And no bride shows up with nasty clothes on on that wedding day. Are you with me? Say yes. In fact, every bride, I would venture to say, the most expensive, the most beautiful garment that they have ever owned and will ever own will probably be that wedding dress. And Jesus, because not only is he our advocate, but he's also the groom who will receive his bride. So Jesus, as the advocate, has all intention of cleaning us up to get us ready for himself... For that banquet day, for that wedding day, to stand in front of the Father and the angels and all the hosts of heaven and say, look at my baby girl. Woo! Come on now. Look how good she looks, Daddy. She ain't got that in her anymore. She ain't that anymore. He's not like that anymore. Look what I have been doing in his life this whole time. I've been cleansing him and making him ready for this day. Are you there? Say yes. Then why do we run away from cleansing? Why are we shamed that there are things... That are still on us. Why do we walk away from the cleansing process? There is a process, and if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to kind of show you what that process can really look like, and uh, and just take a moment, kind of illustrate it. I'm not going to strip down here. I actually have a nice shirt underneath it, so I don't want you guys to get creeped out. Some of you guys have some bad experiences in the past, so anyway, I don't want to pull on that too much. I want to show you how that experience. What Jesus should look like, each and every one of us still have some sin lingering on the garment. we got things like perversion. we got some hatred still there. You know, we've got, we've got some racism still left in us, that pride, that insecurity, and all that kind of stuff. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take you through that cleansing process. I think that the cleansing process comes to an end when we cross into heaven. Until that time, I think he's always scrubbing. Because he's always cleaning Because we're always living in a world full of wickedness And there's always things getting on our garment So the first thing that Jesus wants to do Is he wants to identify that He wants to identify The sin that so easily entangles us He wants us to see it He wants us to know about it That first step with identifying What sin is still on your garment Oh I'm under the blood brother Really why do you keep lying at work Why do you keep telling half truths About why you were late that's a lie. That's not like God. That's not His nature. And so, well, it's just a little sin. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about. In mean, God's eyes, there is no greater sin, little sin. Yeah, it may have less effect than whenever you got drunk and you ran your car into that other person and killed that kid in the back seat. But it's still sin, and it still separates you from God, and it's still not His nature. And he's trying to make you into his nature. He's trying to transform you back to the original design at which he created you. When you walk the earth, you have peace and joy. Everywhere you go, you pray for people and they get healed. He wants you to be what he designed you to be, but sin has kept you from becoming the back to the original design that he intended you to be. And so the first thing he wants to do is identify that. Uh huh. Have you ever been to the cleaners and you, and you, and you put it out on that counter and what do they do? You got any you got any stains or anything? Yeah 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 yeah. And what do they? Do? They'll circle it. Or they'll put a little piece of tape on it. They'll tell, he wants to identify that. How does God do that with us? Well, the Apostle Paul's teaching about that, uh, if you'll turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. There's this whole teaching, I don't have time to really bring it up, but he covers it with these statements. He says, now do you see it? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the law that God put into place for the, for the Israelites when they come out of Egypt and they didn't know right from wrong. And they were more Egyptian and perverted thinking and, and worshiping all kinds of false idols and gods and demonic spirits and magic stuff. They're into all that. And so he gives them the law. He's trying to show them what the right way is. He tries to show them, give them a pattern of what right could look like and should look like. But Paul, in dealing with that, the Jews have now, that's all they do. They won't accept Jesus many times because, because we got the law. We know what, we're, we're going to just try our best to be right and do the, do the law. But look what Paul brings out in verse 20 of Romans 3. He says, now do you see this? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. I don't know about you, but the more I study the Bible, the more I realized, man, I'm a loser. Good Lord Almighty. That's what he's saying. He says, and so, and so the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only, stay with me, serve only to make us see that we are sinners. The law will not cleanse you from the sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all that sin. The law at least lets you identify that ain't right. That ain't right. That's why Jesus didn't have to go through every checkpoint about this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. The law had already pointed that out. Jesus said, just come to me and I'll put my spirit inside of you. And the spirit will convict you and give you strength and power to overcome that. And so the first step in this whole cleansing process is to identify those things. Then what does God do with us? Then Jesus takes us and he places us down in the water, right? The water. Places us down in the water. Back to that that passage that we read in Ephesians 5, 27, right in there. It says, and what will Jesus do? He will will come and he will wash us and cleanse us with the washing of the word. The word. The word of God. See, he's got to get you down in that word. It is amazing to me how many Christians have no idea what the Bible says. It's amazing to me how many Christians are relying on the preacher's revelation of the word. Do you understand? You've got to get down in that word. You've got to get down in that substance. And only in that substance does it begin to wash that away. Only does it begin to saturate all the old ways of thinking. And so, so most of us are dependent upon somebody else's revelation. Someone else studying the Bible gets a revelation and then shares it with you. It's their revelation. That's their stain that God is working on. That's what that word is doing in theirs. He's starting to pull that out in them. And then we, something. yeah, it's good. We can get some revelation. But when you get in the word yourself, that's why we've got so many weak, weak Christians right now because they don't have any idea what the word says. He puts us down in that washing of the word. And he begins to just, and then what does he do? He applies the cleaner to it, right? He starts putting that cleaner, that blood of Jesus that cleanses all unrighteousness. He just starts putting that cleaner on it. And he starts putting that that, that intense stuff. And all of a sudden now the Holy Spirit starts convicting you of things that you never had thought about. You didn't, listen, before I was a Christian, I didn't care about lying to you. I would steal from you. You shouldn't have left it there. You stupid. That means it's mine. Dummy, thank you. Uh, That's how I thought and then, man, I got saved. I still was a thief. I still was like, ooh, look at that right there. I can have that right there. And then he started scrubbing on that. He started applying that word to it. He started putting his holy nature in that thing. And, man, he started, he started putting that on it and take, taking those spots and spraying that cleaner all over it. And, I mean, just getting after it. I mean, just getting after it, just getting, after it, just getting it after. It. But then there's another step in this whole cleaning process that most of us cannot stand. And this is where most of us walk away when Jesus starts trying to purify us or clean us. And that is, he begins to agitate. He begins to scrub and agitate. In fact, in modern washing machines, they have this thing called the agitator. It's that big round piece with the turn in it. Because what it does is it just begins to just grind. And he just pushes all that together. And can I just explain to you right now? Right now, we've got an entire nation that is agitated. Let me help you with something. COVID-19 people not doing what they're supposed to do, racism, and you say, ah, I'm just losing my mind right now. That's because you are being agitated. God is using that to agitate the stains out of you because you still got selfish ambition inside of you because you still got hatred inside of you because you still got perversion inside. You say, I'm agitated. I'm just so frustrated. I'm so agitated. Ooh, that's Jesus. Because when when did the believer stop understanding that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither heights nor depths nor principalities nor powers. can. When did we start getting insecure that he won't provide for us? When did you lose the understanding? Understanding that all things work together for the good of those who love the lord and are called according to his purposes When did you start living in fear knowing that without faith? It's impossible to please god that you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him That fear has been a stain that's been on your garment and you've never really let him wash it out So he's using an agitator To bring that thing out so that you wake up one day and go i'm frustrated and he goes good That's me agitating that out because that's not what the believer is supposed to be right now The believer is supposed to be walking in faith the believers Supposed to live in confidence and at peace, and all things led in peace, guided in peace. But you and I are agitated. What's the government going? Let, let me just help you a little bit. Think through how agitated you and I have gotten. Uh, I can't stand what's going on right now. Agitated. Those, those Republicans, those Democrats, those libertarians. Agitated. I'm gonna kill this kid at my house. Agitated. He is agitating the snot out of you. Why? Because he's going to get that out. Why? Because he has to present us as a bride without spot or blemish. He's working those things out, not because he's mad at us, not because, because somehow we should be embarrassed that we have stains. We all have stains. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, boy, as he agitates that thing, oh, as he gets down on that thing, Friend, look what begins to happen. Oh, where is that perversion anymore? Where is that thing? He begins to rinse that, wash that thing out, scrub that thing. Where's that hatred anymore? Where's that, where's that racism anymore? He just begins to work that whole thing out. Why? Because he loves us. He's made you a promise that if you confess your sins, not only will he forgive them, but he will cleanse you of them. We try to cleanse ourselves by good works, and that ain't going to happen. You think that if you go ahead and give to the orphanage that somehow that's going to that's cleanse you from perversion. Has it worked? You think that you'll forgive what your stepdad did to you 30 years ago if, uh, if you go to church services. Has that fixed anything? You still just, you're still just as bitter? You still talk about it? Can't get a therapist to help you because that, oh, you've, you've burned out every one of them because you won't let go of it. And Jesus is trying to cleanse that stuff out not because he's mad at you. Because... He has original design, and he's trying to get you back to that. The Bible teaches us that the Christian, the believer, these signs will follow them. In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll heal the sick. If anything deadly gets in their body, anything deadly comes against their body. Let me try it again. Anything deadly comes against their body. It will not harm them. And in his day, poison was a thing. So if they drink any pot, it won't kill them. Snakes and vipers, they, they were agricultural. So they're always out in the fields. A snake, and a pot, it won't kill them. Not those who are in my name. Not, not those who follow, not those who are mine. He said it won't. If you could but believe. If you could just trust me. And then back to that passage. In Ephesians 5. He then says this. He says, not only will I cleanse my bride. But I'm coming back to make them not only cleansed. But I want to de them. <laughs> I don't know about you, but nothing frustrates me more. And I guess it's just the way I was raised. Uh, for somebody to wear clothes that are all wrinkled, to something nice. And uh, I'm always fussing at some of our young guys on staff before they get up on the stage like, do you not own an iron? <laughs> like, like, did your mama not teach you how to iron your clothes? No. This is the look. I don't care if it's the look. Iron it. Why? Because those wrinkles make it look cheap. In fact, have you ever noticed that the cheaper a material is, the easier it wrinkles? Yep. Do you realize how many Christians are wrinkled right now? they have all been out of shape. Yeah. How mature is your Christianity that a stupid tweet by a person in leadership can totally throw your whole week off? How easily bent out of shape? In fact, I did some research on what causes wrinkles. And uh, besides your child balling it up and throwing it on the floor and then stepping on it, oh, sorry, your husband. I mean, whoever that might be. Besides that, really, there's, a, there's actually, what happens is that because it's in a wrinkled or it's in a balled-up position, the heat of the day, moisture in the air, begins to cause the polymers inside that fabric to break down. They then get stuck in the position that they are in And whenever you unball them, try to shake them out, they now have these wrinkles that were stuck in the position that you put them in. So what does Jesus do to the believer who's got wrinkles in their life, who are bent out of shape, who are struggling so much to love the other Christians in their small group, who are having such a difficult time submitting to what the Word of God says about their life? What does Jesus do? Well, he takes that hot, beautiful iron, and he begins to apply heat to you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that begins to convict you. Some of you are like, man, my life is so tough right now. I'm not sure which way is which. And, and, and I just feel like, man, like, like everything I do is not right. God. Is working out the wrinkles, ladies and gentlemen. Not because he's mad at you, not because he doesn't love you, just the opposite, because he does love you. So if you're in a situation right now where you can't stand your husband, God is working out them wrinkles. Look at that. He's just putting the heat to it. He's got you thinking about that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you turn on TV and you see Dr. Pimple Popper and all of a sudden she that's gross by the way <laughs> and, uh, and she's being nice and you're thinking man my husband got one of them on the side of his uh, leg, that's so gross and then you see, man, he's, Jesus is bringing all of that wrinkle to the forefront because he wants to iron it out because he's coming back he's returning he is going to put us in a wedding banquet with him and he wants us to be without spot or wrinkle and you know how you know there's heat on your life because there's smoke coming off of it almost every time it's amazing how heat produces steam and as God begins to work out those places in our life and what was so terrible and so wrinkled and so, look at the one side compared to the other side and look how smooth there's a beautiful plan that he has for your life and you were created originally, humanity was created in perfection without lying and perversion and hatred and racism, Adam and Eve didn't have any racism in them The original design was beautiful and then sin came began to crumple us up it began to stain us it began to deform us and now here we are thousands of years later and we don't look like the original design but Jesus loves us so much and he's made us a promise if you'll confess your sins I will forgive them, and then I'll start the doggone cleaning process to get you back to the original design. So when you walk in a room, baby, you got confidence and courage, not because you're worried about your weight or any of that other stupid stuff. You know who you are in Christ. You know that he's got you in the palm of his hand so that whenever they start offering promotions to everybody else and they skipped you over for the fifth time, you say, you know what? I know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, and he's made me a promise that not only will he forgive me, not only will he use this to cleanse me but he will and we'll talk about this in another couple he will promote me and he will prosper me in his own ways and I will be right with him friend let me tell you something it doesn't matter what you think is right his nature I want to be like Jesus I want to look like Jesus I want to smell like Jesus I want to act like Jesus that is what a Christian is supposed to be about holding on to those blemishes holding on to that stuff because it's been our identity some of you are still so caught up that that's identity that every time you walk in you've got to have everybody feel sorry for you because that's where you've gotten attention. He wants to heal you and deliver you from that and make you the person who walks in the the room and says, who's got a problem? I can help them. I want to pray for them. I used to be the person that was always after attention. Now I'm the person who wants to give attention to give love, to give health, to give vitality. Friend, when you and I surrender to the cleansing process, when we stop jumping out of the pot, every time he starts agitating the water and pushing against those stains, if we'll just stay there and say, cleanse it out, Lord. Cleanse it out, Lord. Use that co-worker. ooh Jesus, use that co-worker. Jesus, use that co-worker. Oh, Jesus, thank you for those kids. Praise you, Lord God. Ooh, I want to murder them right now, so that's something got to get out. Take it out of me, Jesus. Scrub it off. When you and I surrender to the process, the cleansing power gets to have its full effect. But when we keep pushing it away, and pushing it away, and that's why some of you keep circling the same stain. Wow. Circling it. Because you never just surrender to it and say, Lord, here's my life. Do what you want. Fix it however you want to fix it. Oh, Jesus. He has a perfect design for you. The original design that he's always, and he promises us that he will forgive us and cleanse us. Aren't you grateful for the promise that he will cleanse me and forgive me? Oh, you looked at porn last week. I promise you. If you'll confess, I will cleanse you, I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you. You punched a dude in Walmart's parking lot, he was cussing up a storm, and he did something. I promise you, I promise you, if you'll confess, if you'll admit it, if you'll own it, if you'll surrender to me, I will not just forgive you, but I will cleanse you. Oh, but he can't, he can't forgive me, i just so bad. I promise you, not only can I, but will I, if you will but, stay in relationship with me you'll confess with your mouth, if you'll let me know that you are repentant, I will forgive and I will cleanse. We have beautiful promises and it's time to hold on to them to forgive us and to cleanse us. Today is the action that he wants to move in. Would you- hey
0: guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the Word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The Word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you see, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill, in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815 cedar hill texas 75106 hey guys we love you we look forward to seeing you again